You are listening to a message from Treeline Church, a life-giving church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you are in the Pittsburgh region, we would love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out treeline.church for times and location. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. So today we're kicking off a brand new series called Anxious for Nothing. And actually, the title of the message this week is called When You've Had Enough. And honestly, I've been really thankful for the culture that we've been creating here at Treeline. I've been really thankful that we have an opportunity for people to just come and they can be who they are, that we don't have to pretend or put on masks or or fake our way through church or Christianity because that's not what God desires for us at all. Matter of fact, I've been really thankful that I've been able to be a pastor to Treeline and just be transparent and honest and open that I don't have to put on a cape and be a superhero and have all the answers, to have everything figured out. Matter of fact, it's something that I really have challenged myself to do to help people understand that there's nothing special about me. I just happen to be standing on the stage with the microphone. But that even in that, and even if God's calling me to be a pastor, yeah, that I'm just a person who's trying to follow after God, that I'm trying to be a good husband and a father, that I'm trying to do my best and follow after the way that Jesus would want me to live. And sometimes that can be a struggle. And I've been thankful for a church from the very beginning, from the very first series that we've done, be able to come in and share, hey, this is who I am. I'm not trying to say that I've got all the answers, that I'm perfect, that I've got this figured out, that I've got a lot of struggles. And I've been really thankful for how gracious you have been as a church with me to allow me to share that with you, to be transparent, to be honest, to be open, and so that we can take this journey together. And so today as we're talking about being anxious and we talk about when you've, you've had enough that sometimes we just get to the point where we, we hit that breaking point. And there sometimes there's so many things that we can be anxious about. And sometimes it could be really valid things. Maybe we're anxious about the future and what things are going to look like and so much uncertainty about the decisions that we've got to make or the financial stress or burdens that we feel. And we're like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. The numbers aren't adding up. What I'm going to do or the the health, the the health situations that we're facing or decisions that we've got to make. There are so many things. And matter of fact, if you're a parent and you've still got kids at home, I mean, that right there gives you something to be anxious about, trying to make the right decisions for your kid. And like, man, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm probably going to end up in counseling someday over this. I'm trying to do my best. I don't want to mess them up, right? And then there's all the things that we've got to go through and keep them safe and then our marriage and our job and our schedule. And sometimes you just get to the point where it's just too much and you've just had enough. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a verse in Philippians. And just to give you a little bit of idea of what we're talking about is this was someone who his name was Paul. And he was writing to some people encouraging them because they were kind of feeling anxious about some stuff they had going on in their life. And so we're going to, this is going to be our text for this series. We're going to get familiar with this over the next couple of weeks. But in Philippians 4. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So not just once, right? He really wants to get this. Rejoice, I'm going to tell you again, you really got to rejoice. In verse 5, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, be anxious for nothing, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
So a little bit of backstory of where this came from. This was written by a guy named Paul. And Paul was someone who God used in a really big way in the early church, a little after Jesus' death and resurrection, that there, this Jesus movement happened. And there was this revolution and people came to understand who Jesus was. And Paul was someone that God used in a really mighty way. Matter of fact, he wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament. And he would encourage these new believers, these new churches in their faith. He would challenge them. But what's especially interesting about the book of Philippians is that Paul Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this. So the guy who's telling them to rejoice and don't be anxious about anything is locked up in jail for simply telling people the good news of who Jesus is. Like that right there, wow, that's pretty impressive. Not only that, the people that he was writing to, the church in Philippians, they were being persecuted. That they were trying to follow after God. They were trying to follow after Jesus. They were trying to do the right things and people didn't like that. They were being persecuted. They were being hunted. They were being tortured for their belief in God. And so here he is writing to them, hey, I know you're about to be hunted down. I know people are giving you a really hard time for just following after Jesus. I know that you're being persecuted for your faith, but you've got to be rejoiced and don't be anxious about anything as I write this as I'm in shackles in prison, right? Like, come on. That's a pretty tall order. It's a pretty amazing passage when you understand where it came from. And so for me, this series is really important because I feel that all of us at some point in our life, some point in our journey, we struggle with being anxious. Or maybe you just struggle with anxiety. You're just naturally wired that way. Now, some people I know, they're like the coolest cucumber type, and it just seems like there's nothing that rattles them. If that's you today, you're dismissed. No, I'm just kidding. But it's just like, come on. I, I admire those people. I, that's just not me. And I have a feeling the more life that I do, the more people I come up against, even some people who seem to have that cool as a cucumber exterior going on. Sometimes there's a little something going on below the surface and that anxiety and that anxiousness that we begin to feel. And for me, I know this might be a little raw, this might be a little too honest for you, but I, I really came to understand what anxiety was and anxiousness from a young age. Matter of fact, when I was a little boy, I wouldn't have known what to call it, but I just had that feeling, you know, when you begin to get feel, you know, that anxious feeling, that, that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach, and I just remember feeling anxious, and then as I grow older and became an adult and the weight really became to come on, I started to discover what anxiety was at the point where I discovered what panic attacks are, which are a whole nother level of anxiety and just not fun. We're not going to dive into much that today. But then even in this journey of starting this church, I really walked through a season, even though we're only a year and a half old, where I really began to feel anxious and overwhelmed. And you might ask the question, well, what was there to be anxious about? I mean, if God called you to plant a church, he called you to do this, right? He said, you're going to go plant a church and we were believing him, we're following him, he's going to provide. Let me tell you, friends, there was a whole lot to be anxious about. That we made a transition, we moved from the state of Indiana, we came here, we hit the ground running, and right from the beginning, it was like this impossible task that was set out before us. That we had a goal that we were going to fundraise all of the funds that we needed to launch the church, which is something to be anxious about. Like all of the things, all the, we didn't have a church to come to and say, hey, we're going to do this, we're going to take some offerings. No, we had from day one, all of the staging, the equipment, the flags that you saw coming up on the way up, the toys that the kids play with, all the technology, all of it had to be fundraised from day one before we even and launch the church. So it was a really tall order. I'd never done anything like that before. And then the part, the network that we we're part of set some goals for us. And they're like, we want you to be a healthy church plant. Here's some things we want you to do. You have to have 30 people on what you call your launch team. The launch team is the group of people who help, they come and help launch the church. They help serve in every kid's area, the tech, the hospitality, your band, every area. And they said, we need, I'm like 30 people. We're starting from scratch here. Am I supposed to find 30 people? And so the network got back with us 
Jesus. They're like, you know what? You're right. It wasn't supposed to be 30 people. It's actually 40 people that you need on your team. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I, are you serious? They're like, yeah, we're serious. We changed the standard midway through Merry Christmas. I'm like, how am I supposed to come up with 40 people to help get this church off the ground? Started feeling really anxious and then trying to find a location to meet. Some of you have heard this story before. We were supposed to have three places that we have option one, two, or three. We could find option zero. We looked at 20 different locations, 20. Of those 10 of them, we had conversations with. Of those 10, there was only one, and it didn't come to the very end. It was PTC where you're sitting right now. And it was like down to the wire. Like we were supposed to be like, say, here's where we're going to meet. Had to have been months before. Here's our backup options. We had no option. And so just really started to feel really super anxious. God, this is crazy. Where are we going to get the people? We're going to get the money. We can't even find a place to meet. What are we supposed to do? We're going to like meet in my house. We can fit like three people in our living room. That should work really well. I just really started to feel that anxiety, feel that anxiousness as we got the church off the ground and just really started to feel overwhelmed to the point where it started affecting me and affecting my sleep, which for the first time in my life, I, I had never felt anxious to the point where I couldn't sleep before. And I started waking up and all the tricks that used to work, like listening to some soft music or worship or going down and watching the TV and trying to fall asleep to some really boring movie or TV show, like nothing was working. I just couldn't sleep. I was waking up. My mind was just turning all the time, just so stressed out and so anxious and being like, God, I know you called us to do this, but this is just, this is crazy. I'm way out of my league. I'm out of my depth. I don't think, I think you've got the wrong guy. Like, I don't know if this is going to work. And I just really had an effect on me mentally, emotionally, psychologically, in my relationships, and even physically in my health started to feel the weight of the load that I was carrying. And so when you read a passage of scripture like we do in for Philippians, and it says, be anxious for nothing, we ask ourselves the question, at least I ask myself, is that even possible? Is it even possible to be anxious for nothing? We live in the age of anxiety. I mean, come on, someone. I didn't time the series like the pandemic of death coming around right now, the coronavirus, and everyone's flipping out, losing their minds. I mean, everyone is super anxious. You can't get a single piece of toilet paper or hand sanitizer anywhere. Why? Because people are anxious, and they're trying to control something that they can't control. Not only that, if you're part of Generation Z, which is the generation that comes after millennials, those would be people college age, high school age, when they are surveyed, 91%, get this, 91% of that generation says that they are highly, significantly stressed out. When it comes to making decisions, well, I, should, I probably maybe should go to school, but then how am I going to pay for the school loans? And so much uncertainty about their future to the point where they're frozen in making decisions because they don't want to make the wrong one and just feel so much weight of the judgment and expectations placed on them by others and themselves. And they're super stressed out as a generation. And not only that, if we could just talk about being an adult for a moment, there's a whole lot to be anxious about. Getting a job, keeping that job, providing for your family, all those things that we've got to do, pay bills, take care of our kids, protect them. We have a marriage that we're trying to save and just goes on and on and on. Is it possible, oh dear Paul, to be anxious for nothing? Are you kidding me? There's just so much that we can be anxious about. And there's someone who I think is going to really help us in this journey, in this series. And his name is Elijah. 
You may have heard of Elijah before. He was an Old Testament prophet. He was someone that God used in some pretty amazing ways. And a prophet was just simply someone that God used to speak his will. He would speak and communicate. So he would speak on the behalf of God to the people. God is saying this and he would communicate. This is what God is saying to you as a people, as a kingdom, to individual people. He would communicate on behalf of God. And so in Elijah's day, and this time in the kingdom where they lived, there was a really evil king, and his name was Ahab. Ahab was living completely opposite of the way God wanted him to rule as a king. He wasn't taking care of other people. He was incredibly selfish. He was thinking of only himself. He's worshiping other gods. He is not following after God. He's treating God's people terribly. And so God uses Elijah, and he tells him, hey, I want you to go tell this guy that because of his sin, I'm going to send a drought upon this land. And so Elijah goes, and he says, hey, you know what you've done? You've been living like a terrible king. Well, God's now going to punish you and punish this land. He's going to send this drought. It's going to be terrible. Well, you can imagine that went really well with King Ahab. He's like, oh, cool. Yeah, that's good. No, he was, he was so furious with him. He hunts him down. He's like, excuse me, he's going to kill him. And so for three years, he hunts down Elijah and he's like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to take him out. And so Elijah has to run. He's in hiding. But here's the amazing thing. God provides for him the entire time. He's hiding away and he has no way to get food. So what does he do? He calls up DoorDash for him and he sends him some Chipotle. No, God uses, God uses these ravens before Uber Eats, before DoorDash. There were ravens that God would send and he would literally send these birds who were carrying food to them. I don't know if one point he got really hungry and ate one of the ravens. It doesn't say that, but God uses these birds to carry food directly to him to sustain him. And not only that, Elijah saw so many amazing things. God used Elijah to raise someone from the dead. Hello, someone. That'd be a pretty big sign that God's on your side. Seeing someone raised back to life, I'd probably be more freaked out than anything, but that's who Elijah was. Not only that, at one point, King Ahab had 850 false prophets who were telling the opposite of what God was really was saying. They were saying, hey, the king knows what's up. What he's doing is right. And Elijah said, no, they don't. That's not what God is saying. So he stands down 850 of these men. And as he is doing this, Elijah prays and calls down fire from heaven and fries these guys crispy critters, right? He kills them all. I mean, Come on, someone, that's pretty substantial. Like, wow, right? You would be like, man, God, who is going to mess with this guy? Like, what's up? This is amazing. But see, in all of this, as terrible as King Ahab was, as awful as a person he was, and his failed attempt to take Elijah out, King Ahab had a wife who made Ahab look like a saint, and her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel hears about what Elijah's doing, and she's like, hey, Ahab, that was a really nice effort, but now I'm about to take care of business and do this myself because apparently you're inept and capable of doing this. So Elijah, I'm coming for you. I'm going to kill you. You better watch out. And then all of a sudden, Elijah experienced nonstop protection. He had all the provision, the presence, the power of God, faces down 850 men, calls down fire from God. He takes care of them. And then one really grumpy woman threatens him and he falls to absolute pieces. He loses it. He loses his mind. He is scared. He is running. Matter of fact, we can see in 1 Kings 19 what happens when she threatens him. It says this starting in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Are you kidding me? After all of that, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. 
I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah had hit his limit. He had had enough. After everything he had seen, after everything he experienced with God, he had had that point. We all hit this point in our lives. We all experience these breaking moments that we can't take anymore. It's a little bit of Popeye, right? I've had all I stands and I can't stand no more, right? Pop open that spinach can, then we go to town on business, right? And this is where he gets. He just, he breaks down. He can't take anymore. He's done. He's like, I, I don't know what to do. And see, this is where I was in my life. I felt like I could handle a whole lot. I was a pastor for about 15 years before we started Treeline, started a youth ministry from the ground up. We had zero money, zero people, zero budget, no meeting locations. Like, well, I've done it before. Surely we'll be able to do it again. It's not like I didn't have experience in it. I'd been a father. I'd been a pastor. And I had been through some really hurtful things in life that I fought to get healthy. And God brought me through those. And so it would seem kind of silly to be stressed out. But I just got to a point, and many of us have been there. Maybe you're there now where we've just had enough. And just doesn't seem that we can do it anymore. And so we're going to break down this passage in 1 Kings because I think there's a few things that we can learn from Elijah. And maybe you'll find a little bit of yourself and your story and what Elijah experienced here in 1 Kings. See, Elijah made some common mistakes that we make. Elijah made some common mistakes that we make. And the first one is this. We run ourselves in to the ground. The first mistake that Elijah made that many of us make, we run ourselves into the ground. We could see there in that passage that Elijah ran. He didn't stay to face the problems. He ran and he ran as far as he could go. He ran over a hundred miles. Matter of fact, geographically, he couldn't go any further because if he would have ran any further, it would have been water. So the guy ran as possibly far as he could get from the situation that he was at the limit. And this is where I was. And see here, when we launched the church, it wasn't just the anxious and the anxiety of launching a church. It's actually a lot of what came before that. See, before we made the transition, I was running myself into the ground. Why? Because we were working two good jobs. My wife and I were both employed full time. We both had job security. We were at a place that we liked. Things were going well, right? We just got the house the way we wanted it, right? Everything was going really good. It was like, there's no reason to rock the boat. And then God says, go. And we're like, all right, Lord, we're going to do this thing. And so we make this transition. We're going to transition to Pittsburgh. There are no jobs lined up. There is no one waiting to pay us when we get here. We're not sure how we're going to provide for our family. Matter of fact, we cashed out all the savings that we had, the proceeds of selling our house, everything to be able to come and do this. That makes you a little anxious, not having a job and figuring out how you're going to provide for your family. On top of that, we were trying to get here before the school year started and trying to find a house and sell a house. We found a house here. It was great. We put the offer in. They accepted it. About the same time, we had an offer in our house in Indiana, and we were like, this is going to work. We'll sell our house. When that sale goes through, we'll complete the purchase, and then it all fell apart. We lost the buyer in Indiana. The sale fell through. The buyer-seller that we were buying from here in Pennsylvania kicked us to the curb, sold the house to someone else, so now we're at ground zero. God, we're supposed to be here. School starts in a couple of months. We don't know what we're going to do. So we finally find another place, put an offer in. We finally get another offer on our house. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in the real estate, 
Come on, someone, if you have bought and sold houses before, you know how anxious this can make you. Because it's not anyone's fault. It's just the process. It moves at the speed of snail, right? It's like snails like flying by while you're trying to get this process and this transaction to go through. So we're waiting for it to go through. It's taking forever. School is starting. We've got to move here. We're in limbo. We move in with a family member. When I talk about having some anxious and anxiety in your life, moving in with a family member, right? That's really great. I don't recommend it. It's just not great. It's, you just feel like, man, I'm doing really good here, taking care of my family, following after you, God. And not only that, to get the girls to the school where we were moving to where we were staying was a 45-minute drive, so 90 minutes round trip to get there and back, and then another 90 minutes to go pick up your kids, getting here, no job, no house, no support, something to a little bit be about anxious about, right? Like, I don't know, why, Brian, why were you so anxious? There's nothing really going on. You were fine. And so to get to that point and then be like, oh, and now we're going to start all the work to plant a church. So it wasn't just the anxiety of doing all of that. It was everything leading up to that. I don't know if you've ever been to that point, but like Elijah, sometimes we just run ourselves in to the ground. Sometimes we just do too much. The second one that we think we do is that we shut people out. Did you catch this in the passage? He said that he left his servant, his most loyal companion, the friend that he had around him. He left him and he ran by himself. Maybe you've experienced this, that we internalize the problem, the stress or the anxiety, the anxiousness that we carry. Instead of letting someone else shoulder the load with us, we just internalize it and we carry it alone. And we think that no one will understand or we think that people will judge us or they, they won't get it. Whatever the reason is, we just decide to go all internal. Instead of letting people help us carry it, we just shut people out and we try to carry it and do it all our own. It's a pretty big red flag, but this is exactly what Elijah did. And for us at Treeline, this is why it's so important for us that we are not a church that has small groups, but that we are a church of small groups. Because everyone needs to be in a group doing life with other people. Because sometimes when that attack hits, sometimes when you have that thing, and there's some legitimate things to be anxious about, sometimes you need some people around you. And the worst thing that could have happened is what Elijah did. He ran, and then he shut people out in his life. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, if you've ever done that. Maybe sometimes it even gets to the point where you get so anxious and you're so internalized that even your spouse, you feel like you can't share that load with them, the person that God designed you to do life with, and you're just so tied up and so knotted up inside, and you're like, I just can't get this out. And for whatever reason, maybe you're conditioned with it. Maybe you were looked down as a kid. Maybe your parent treated you really bad the time that you tried to admit to them that you were going through something difficult, and they just told you to suck it up and get over it. I don't know what the reason is, but that is not the way God designed you to do life. We can't shut the people out in our life. The third one is this. We focus on the negative. We focus on the negative. Maybe this is just me, but man, Elijah was there too. He simply had enough. He's like, you know what? I, I'm no better than my fathers. I'm no better than my ancestors. They were screw-ups. They were failures. Therefore, I'm going to be a failure. I'm no, I'm no better than them. Life isn't going to get any better. Nothing's ever going to change. They're certainly, certainly not ever going to change. Things will never get better. I'm never going to get in that college. I'm going to be a failure as a parent. I'm just going to struggle financially. I'm never going to get the promotion. I'm never going to get the raise. I'm never going to find where I'm supposed to do. The relationship's never going to work out. We just focus, almost like blinders on a horse, that we totally miss everything going on good in our lives and we can only focus on the negative. 
We just miss everything that's going on. I mean, come on. Somebody, Elijah had God feeding him with ravens, raising people from the dead, calling down fire. And these are just a small little highlights of what God used Elijah to do. And he's just focused on the one thing. He's afraid to die. He's scared to death of this woman who is hunting him down. I don't know if you've ever been there before. That we just solely focus on all the negative things. I've certainly been there. And I've certainly even been there on this journey. That we just miss all of the good things going on. We miss all the amazing things and all the wins that we can celebrate. And all the things that God is doing. All the things that we're meant to enjoy in life. And we just can't get over that negative thing. It's like the voice that shouts loudest in the room. And we miss everything else that's going on. This is where Elijah was. He simply focused on the negative the fourth and final way that we can identify with Elijah in this story, this is a pretty big one, is that he forgets his God. Elijah forgets God, and we do the same thing. See, every step of the way with Elijah, every moment, every situation, God was right there with him. God had been present from the moment that he had been hunted down. He had been present in the moment where he was afraid and ran for his life. God had provided. God had protected for him. And what happens? Elijah forgets who his God is. The same thing happens with us, doesn't it? We forget who our God is. We forget the God that we're serving. And we begin to see the problems and focus on those things and isolate ourselves and run from it. We forget who the God is that we are serving. We forget what God has done in our past, in our history, what he has meant to us. And even if you are new to the faith and you haven't seen God show up and do amazing things in your life, the fact that God loved you enough to send his son to die for you so that he could have relationship with you should tell you how God feels about you. And that he is in your corner. And he wants nothing more than to support you. And so what happens is we face our fears and then we forget our God. And this is where I was and this is where many of you are. And maybe you've been there that we face our fears and we forget who our God is. Now here's the crazy thing. Elijah more than anyone should remember who his God was. See it is built in to his name. The name Elijah actually should have been a reminder to him who his God was. Matter of fact, Elijah, E-L, for the first part of his name stands for Elohim. And Elohim means God, the first part of it. And then the letter I would be I or mine. And the last part of it, the Ja, stands for Yahweh. So actually, those people who would follow after God, they were really close followers at that time. They revered God in such a way that they wouldn't even put the vows in Yahweh. And so they wouldn't even pronounce it that way. They would just simply say, yeah. So here's Elijah's name. God is my, God is my breath. God is my sustainer. God is my source. If anyone should have remembered who Elijah was, it was him because he had that built into his name. God was his breath, his source, his sustainer, his strength. And see, friends, when we get to that point where we feel so anxious, where we feel that we can't breathe, where we're just tossing, turning at night, waking up with our mind turning, we've got to know that God is with us and we can't face our fears and forget who our God is. Here's the amazing thing that I love about this story. When Elijah fell apart, when he lost his mind, what did God do? Did God get in there and lecture him? What are you doing? You know I'm going to be there for you. You are terrible. You're a piece of garbage. Who do you, don't you, don't you know? That's not what God does at all with him. He does the exact opposite. God meets him in his point of need. Here's what happens in 1 Kings 19. 
The Lord says this to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, fire came, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. See, the wind came and shook the place, but God wasn't in the wind. See, the earthquake came and shook the ground, but the God wasn't in the earthquake. And then the fire came and blazed bright, but God wasn't in the fire. Earth, wind, fire. Some of you are like, what? You might be too young for that joke. Anyway, <laughs> God was not in any of it. He was just in the whisper. See, God wasn't in the remarkable. He wasn't in the big, loud, flashy showing. God said, I'm about to pass by, but God wasn't in any of it. And so when we're overwhelmed by stress, when we're overcome by anxiety, why does God's voice seem so quiet? Why doesn't he seem to be there? Why doesn't he speak in the spectacular and powerful ways? Right, we're going through it and we're having that anxiety. It's so great for Elijah to go up on that mountain and that wind to blow and the ground to shake and God just shows up and Elijah, I'm here. It's gonna be on. That's not what happens at all. Why does God seem to simply whisper? Why does his voice seem so quiet? The reason that he whispers is it's a proximity thing. When someone whispers, they've gotta be up close to you. You got to whisper when you're whispering to someone. You can't be across the room. You can't be down the street. When you're whispering to someone, you've got to be close. And so God is saying in his whisper that he is always close to you. See, the devil's always going to shout. And the devil's going to shout from a distance and tell you what a failure you are. That you're not going to make it. That you're not going to be any good. That you will amount to nothing. That you're going to be a failure. Your parents were a failure. You're going to be a failure. The marriage is going to fail. The finances is going to fall apart. You're going to lose everything. You're a nothing. You're a nobody. You messed up one too many times. And that's what the Satan shouts. And the devil wants to know that you are just a terrible failure. But God is always whispering, telling you, drawing you close, whispering the truth that he was with you. That he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, and that if you are brokenhearted, that he is close to the brokenhearted, that if you're overwhelmed, that he saves those who are crushed. And he says, yeah, you might be struck down, but you are not abandoned. You are not forgotten. See, God is always whispering because he is close. Did you catch it in Philippians when we read that we don't have to be anxious for anything? Why? Because God is near. And he's always been whispering, letting you know that you can trust him and that he's there with you. And see, this is where I had to get in my story with all the anxiety, all the anxiousness that I felt. I had to begin to walk out that path and just begin to trust God and know that he was with me. And I had to remind myself, and I quote scripture all the time, that God, you are with me. And if you are with me, you are for me. And if you are for me, there is no one that can be against me. What do I have to be afraid? That I'm not gonna forget who my God is, that God, you have showed up time and time again. Matter of fact, I'm in awe of how you showed up in my life in this story time and time again. And then I found out that I wasn't alone, that there were people who came alongside us in this journey, this church, who picked up the load, who shouldered, and who just give and serve to the point where it was humbling to see what God did and then he provided some people to speak into my life. Some other pastors and church planners who were a little further down the road and just encouraged me instead of being all inward and dealing with the stress on my own, just having some people who were an ear to lean on and have people encourage me. And one of the greatest things that happened to me in this journey is finding out who I was in God. 
that my identity wasn't being a pastor. That's just what I do. My identity wasn't wrapped up in being a church planter, that God wanted relationship with me. Friends, you got to hear me say this, that even if this church were to fail, even if this were to be a fail and I just fall flat on my face, that does not say anything about how God feels about me. See, some of us are so wrapped up in what you can do for God or being afraid that if you don't do the right things or make the right steps that God won't love you. See, he loves you. If you've said yes to a relationship with him, he loves you as a son or a daughter. And you don't love your son and daughter based on their performance and what you do. My kids don't walk in the room and I'm like, let me see those grades. Let me see what your room looks like. I'm going to decide if I love you. If you've done enough for me, then I'll decide. That's ridiculous. No good parent does that. But somehow we've got it all twisted up that that's how God feels about us. But he loves you. He wants relationship with you. He wants more than anything to be your loving father. And so for me, that path looked like getting back in counseling. I'm no stranger to counseling. I believe highly in counseling. Matter of fact, it's like chiropractor, yep. Dentist, yep. Doctor, yep. Counseling, yep. I believe that we all should be in counseling. Counseling should be a normal part of life. It shouldn't be for something like, oh, they're in counseling. I like to tell people I have issues. Not only do I have issues, I've got a full subscription. I like need to be in counseling. It's something that I've got to do for my health. So I started journeying down that path again seeing a professional counselor, getting around other people who are speaking life, diving into those fears and those anxieties and those identity issues that I happen. And we all have that path that we've got to take with the anxiety and the anxiousness that we need. Some of us need to be in counseling. Some of us need to see a doctor. Some of us need to make the step and get in a small group. Matter of fact, maybe a step for you is to go back and listen to the whole friending series that we wrapped up because some of us just need someone to simply be in our life, to be a friend, to help shoulder the load. See, I don't know what the journey and the path looks like for you, but we've got to be willing to go through that process. And it was amazing when I understood that I was no longer going to forget who my God was. And I stopped focusing on all the negative things and all the fears and the anxiety that I felt that kept me awake at night. And there was just this peace that came because I understood that God was near and that he was for me. And I knew that he was going to provide, he was going to show up. And I knew that there were other people who were here and they were in this with me. And I stopped running and I began to just confront and say, no God, this is what you've called me to be. You've been so faithful. Look at the people who are here with me, doing this with me. I began to walk that out and take that path and go through the counseling and deal with all those issues and finding the peace that only comes in a relationship with him. Did you catch it in Philippians that there will be a pass, that peace that doesn't make any sense? Another translation says it passes all understanding. Like there's this peace that doesn't make sense. You should be freaking out. You should be anxious. You should just be like, what is going to happen? But there's this peace that comes with God because when you're near to him and you experience the whisper of him saying, I'm with you, you can do this. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You can overcome. I've called you to this. I love you. I'm for you. And when you begin to hear that whisper and you walk down that path, it's pretty amazing. The band's going to come and we're going to finish up here. And as we do, there's a little bit of a spoiler alert for you. That if you don't know the story of Elijah, it's pretty amazing. See, Elijah was somebody he was, what was he afraid of? Elijah was more afraid of anything than dying. He was afraid that Jezebel was going to hunt him down and kill him to the point where he is hiding out the mighty prophet, the mighty man of God cowering under a bush, saying, God, just take me now. It'd just be better if I die. He was so fearful. He was so anxious. He was just so knotted up by that anxiety. But something amazing happens at the end of Elijah's story. In 2 Kings 2, he was walking along with his protege named Elisha. 
And as he is walking along and as he's talking with them, something amazing, something supernatural happens. The Bible describes the story where chariots of fire and horses descend from heaven in this blaze of fire. And they come and they get Elijah and they sweep him up and they carry him off to heaven. See, the very thing that Elijah feared, the very death that he was afraid to taste, he never experienced. It never happened. Are you ready for this? He was anxious for nothing. He never tasted death. The fear never came to pass. And see, that's what happens for many of us many times. There's kind of three things that can happen with the things that we're feeling anxious about. The first thing is that many of the things that we're anxious about, very often those things don't even come to pass. And that we're just anxious, we're anxiety riddled, we're just losing sleep, we're shortness of breath. And many times those things don't even happen. The second thing that could happen is, yeah, it might happen. And what you're experiencing and what you're fearing and what you're afraid of, it might happen. But many times it's not near as bad as we thought it would be. And the third category for the things that we fear and the things that we're anxious about is sometimes it's the worst case scenario. Sometimes everything we fear, sometimes the things that we're anxious about, it happens. And maybe even it's worse than we thought. But how can we be anxious for nothing in those moments? Because see, friends, I don't know what happens. But just like Elijah, there is no storm that you can face that God won't bring you through. That there's no obstacle that you can go through that God won't help you overcome. There's no enemy that he won't help you overcome and defeat. And there's no heartache that he can't heal. See, friends, I don't know what your story looks like. I don't know what it is that you're facing. I don't know what that you're anxious for, but that you can be reminded today that you don't have to be anxious for anything. Because even if that worst case scenario happens, God will be there with you to sustain you, that he will be there to turn your story around, that he will still love you. The Bible makes it so clear that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you, that he is in this fight with you. You can be anxious for nothing. Today, as we close in prayer, I'm just going to ask you to do something. If you're here today and you're saying, Brian, include me in this prayer that I just need God to show up. I need to feel that closeness. I need to hear him whisper. I need to remember who he is. I need to stop isolating myself. If that's you today in any one of those categories and you're dealing with that anxious feeling, would you just be brave enough to slip your hand up and say, include me in that today? My hand's the first one up. Anyone else? Put those hands up. If that's you today, all over the room, all over the room. <laughs> You can put your hands down. We're going to pray together. Bow your heads and pray with me. Some of you are about anxious about having to put your hand up, and that's okay. <laughs> God, we thank you, Lord, for every single person who's hearing this message today. For those who raised their hand and those who maybe just weren't brave enough to put their hand up, but they just feel it and know that this is for them today. God, to you, those of you who have been listening to this message throughout this week, God, I just pray. God, that we would experience this closeness, this whisper that comes. And even though sometimes we're desperate and we want those big showy moments where you show up and you show up, but God, sometimes you are just there, the gentle whisper, reminding us who you are, reminding us that you love us, that you care for us, that you're here for us, that you won't leave us. God, I just pray today that we would be brave enough to bring it to you. God, that we wouldn't run from you, we wouldn't run from the situation, but God, that you desire to be a good father and that we can come to you with our stress, we can come to you with our anxiety, that we can lay out our questions before you, that even if we need to be angry and shout, God, that you aren't scared by that. God, you would rather have us be angry and shouting at you than just to not talk to you at all. God, I thank you for finding people to go through this with us, to remind ourselves who you are. In Jesus' name. 
today if you're here and if you need to say yes to a relationship with Jesus, maybe the first step for you in your path and your journey is to say yes to a relationship with him. See, the Bible tells us and makes it very clear that we can't earn a relationship with God. We don't deserve his love and forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to be good enough. We can't go to church enough. It's simply a free gift that he gives to us. That's the good news of who Jesus is. And if you're here today and you're ready to make that decision for Christ to say yes to him, to deny yourself and say, I'm done trying to do it on my own. God, I need you in my life. I want to feel that closeness that comes from only being in relationship with you. I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to a relationship with him. Maybe you're here today and at one point you said yes to a relationship with Jesus and I don't know what happened. Maybe life became difficult. Maybe you went through some challenges. Maybe you walked away because what you were feeling and the anxious and the anxiety that you felt just seemed so great and you couldn't understand because that worst case scenario happened and how could a loving God allow something so hurtful to happen to me or someone that I care about? And it just became so painful that you begin to distance yourself from him. Friends, it doesn't matter what the reason is, but I want you to know today that there has been a God always waiting with arms wide open with love and acceptance and forgiveness for you. If that's you today, well, no one's looking around in either one of those categories for the very first time or you need to recommit your life to him, I'm gonna count to three and I'm just gonna ask you to simply slip your hand up. We're not gonna call you up or bring you up or make you stand up. Just simply in the count of three, raise your hand and say, include me in that prayer today, Brian. One, two, three. If that's you today, just raise that hand and see that hand and see that hand. I see that hand. Okay, you can put your hands down. Awesome. We're going to pray together and we ask everyone to pray aloud and repeat after me so that no one has to pray alone. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Make me new. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you every day of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate and cheer for those who made a decision to come to Christ today? Thanks for listening. If you would like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at treeline.church or on social media. Our mission is to see family trees changed by a lifelong relationship with Jesus. We hope you can listen or join us next week.